Oh, Can you hear me? Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, this is a re-recording because I went to a part of my house and I guess it just like stopped responding. So we're starting over. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you told me you're doing good. That's good. But your boyfriend's been pranking you and he blew an air horn in your face. So you don't have to just worry about dying. That's that's yeah. Rough. Yeah. Anybody, anyone who is upset about who they're quarantined with, at least the person they're with is not a boy with an air horn. Um, we have not seen the air horn in a little while, and I'm hoping that's reign of terror is over, and not because he's hoping that I will forget about it, and he's gonna hit me with it when I least expect it. <laughs> yeah. Well. I don't know how you feel, but, like, uh, one thing is, like, that's got to be rough for you is, like, you were, you're, you helped book a room, so now you have to, like, worry about that going forward, so that's got to be difficult, too. It's, it's a little, I, yeah, I'm definitely sad, so right before this happened, I made the decision in early January, um, I was working a nine-to-five job in a real estate brokerage, and trying to do comedy in the evenings, and it was just getting to be too much, so I made the leap to do comedy full-time, and I was bartending on the side, and that I got to do that for about two months before the whole world shut down. So, yeah, my timing is impeccable there. But I actually, um, I told myself and other people that I would never run a Zoom show, but I am now running a Zoom show. Um, It's going to be on Thursday uh, next week and we'll see how it goes and hopefully I'll still be able to like um, book that going forward yep yeah, that's the thing it's like usually putting your eggs all your eggs in the comedy basket when the world is going great is risky but now it's like you can't even do comedy so it's like really difficult yeah it's it was it was already I was just kind of starting to like stabilize with it I was just starting to be comfortable after making that leap so it definitely got the rug swept out from under me a little bit but I'm doing okay um looking for any kind of content work I can get right now which is hard to come by but there's some of it out there and there are other people in much difficult more difficult situations than I am so yeah, we're doing okay. If all I have to do is deal with a boy with an air horn, it's not that bad. Yeah. Uh, at first, I was like skeptical of like doing Zoom shows, and like I get the criticism of it because like it does feel awkward a little bit yeah. when you're doing it. But for sure, at the same time, it's like it, it doesn't feel that different from a regular open mic to me. If it's just because most open mics is just all comics there, not laughing at your jokes anyway. <laughs> it so I've done a couple of them and they've all been like a little bit different and I my first opinion before I did any of them was like there's no way that's gonna work you can't have the same like live feedback that you're used to I was so against it but then I was like all right well if I want to tell people that I don't like this thing and I don't think it can work I have to at least try it so then I started trying it and I found out that I actually liked it 
um, just because it feels really great to be trying out some new jokes and being connected with people within the scene again. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah. And it's not because everybody understands the situation we're in. It actually feels like there's less judgment and people people are actually having more fun trying stuff out now that they are like, I think everyone's just clamoring to do a comedy set of some sort that it's actually like, actually been kind of positive actually in a weird way. It has been. And I've noticed that too. Like I feel there's something really comforting about the fact that we're all doing this for the first time. So it's a little awkward. It's a little clunky and that's okay. Like it's, it's, it definitely feels more comfortable and less pressured than live comedy. Um, But it's also, it's, it's a little intimidating in its own way to be just sitting there in your home and knowing that you have all these people just silently watching you is also uh, a little bit strange but it's all new things are uncomfortable at first yeah that's true and like uh one time when when i was first starting out a comic once said to me like in order to do comedy you have to become comfortable with silence more than anything i'm so bad at that i was i was really trying like the things i was working on right before the quarantine happened was trying to get better at sitting in silence on stage and also uh crowd working which is so just so like there's few things worse than bad crowd work like when it's good it's like almost peak comedy to have like a really good riffing session or crowd work because the whole audience feels uniquely engaged and it's funnier everybody can relate to what's happening it's right in front of us but when it's bad it's so bad so it's hard to start to take that leap like it's like it's like if your set is like a skateboard and you do that trick where you jump over something and the skateboard goes under it and then you land back on top of it like that's how I feel about crowd work like the skateboard is your set and you're jumping off of it and just hoping that wherever you end up in the air you'll end up back on your skateboard when it's done yeah and it's it's so risky For me, crowd work is like, I'm so autistic about my material that like, (laughs) I don't want it, like, I don't want it interrupted by some like drunk shithead in the crowd. So like, oh, yeah, my whole thing is like, I, I just like to do my material. Like, I'm just not comfortable with there's some comics that like, they can create a whole, like, that's their whole material is like, just messing with the crowd and I'm like Mm -hmm. I'm super envious of that when it's done well but like one thing I noticed too is like open mic comics like will try to be a crowd work comic but I think it's just the mask the fact that they haven't written any jokes a lot of times yeah I I would say that you need if you want to you need to be well-rounded you need a little bit of both and crowd work that is obvious that it's crowd work is always going to be a little bit clunky if that makes sense like every, when I'm in an open mic and I hear somebody go all right I'm gonna practice my crowd work I'm like ugh. like now it's you just took the whole illusion away from it and something else that I've learned is kind of um I don't know what the word for it is but crowd work 
that feels like crowd work but is actually like a part of your set if that makes sense like asking the audience a question that the audience thinks they are the first group of people to be asked but you actually can anticipate what their answer is going to be from that and like tailor your response like already have your response or your punchline to it ready to go I think is kind of a safe way to like the more that you can get the crowd engaged with your set I think the better your set can be and I think that's an easy way to get their attention is to be like oh they're talking to me and me specifically yeah then so it's just like pretty much like material that feels like crowd work but it's still Mm -hmm. essentially doing your material you know yeah I think that's the safest way to go about it yeah uh one thing I've noticed with this quarantine though is like because we're all like stuck on like Facebook and social media is like a lot of my like stupid relatives I haven't spoken to in years are like posting stuff that they know more than the doctors who are like oh they study this stuff. So like some waiter who's been like a waiter at Applebee's for like a decade is like, what do they know? It's like you've been working at Applebee's as a waiter for a decade and you can't even become an assistant manager. I don't really need (laughs) to know your opinion on this pandemic. Like I'm going to listen to the doctor. It's so crazy. We are at such a unique time with like the whole fake news thing being a thing. Like remember when we just believed that the news had integrity and was honest um now it's like every piece of information we get no matter where it's coming from we have to like check so you have to check all of your sources and do your own research and it's really hard when you have we're just so comfortable with the fact that some of the information that's being just put all over the internet is totally fake and it's hard and media literacy is a real thing and it's recent it's a recent necessity and I took one PR class in college one like 101 PR class and as like a one day topic we talked about media literacy and to do that they gave us like three different they looked like essays and we were supposed to pick out which of the three was an ad And, like, everybody picked, like, oh, it's this one, this one, this one. Turned out that all three of them were ads, and almost all of us fell for at least one of them as being, like, an actual piece of journalism. Yeah, it's it's definitely, like, um, I don't know. I I feel like it just makes, like, everything worse now because, like, we can't, like, we have to argue every piece of the news now because, like, it's just confusing for people to like understand. So like, and then it just like, after a while, I'm just like, you believe what you're going to believe. I'll believe what I'm going to believe. I don't really need to try to change your mind on it because it's too frustrating. It's so frustrating. And I think we also need to start normalizing people admitting when they were wrong about something because everybody's wrong. Like that's the best forms of growth happen from being wrong about something and then finding out more information and changing your idea on it that means you just grew as a person oh yeah that's that's definitely true like for me it's like I don't like to 
see all, like I'm not on the right, but I don't like to see all people on the right as the same thing. I try to listen to what they have to say. That way I'm not just like, because I wouldn't want somebody to just like not listen to my point because of my ideology, if that makes any sense, you know? It is. And it's, I think another thing that we can all, we're all starting to agree on is that there truly is some fucked up shit on both sides. I mean, just the whole the whole backing of Joe Biden right now and disbelieving Tara Reid and publicly trying to shame her looks exactly like the Kavanaugh hearings. Like, it's crazy. We're seeing, like, it's the same issue from two extreme sides on differing spectrums. Yeah, and it. what's weird about that to me, too, is, like, Alyssa Milano, the one who, like, championed this whole Me Too thing. Yeah won't take that story seriously, but she says believe all women. So it doesn't look good for that movement because now it seems hypocritical. It does. It's like, but we believe, I commented this on somebody's post, like, we believe and support all women unless, however, those women start interfering with our political agendas, in which case we invite them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, Yeah, I believe her husband like works with joe biden so that looks like yeah it just it's like oh because you have something to gain from this you don't want this story out there and i think that's what's been really exposed is how much our political leaders on either side on the extreme ends are operating based off of what they stand to gain from it as opposed to public interest or in a humanitarian light. Like, it's very much, you know, if you are offering me $10,000 right now, sure, I'll vote for Joe Biden. I'll support him. Don't believe survivors. We're cool. Like, I have $10,000. I said that for you. Here we go. Um, And that's been really disappointing, but also hopefully maybe getting us all a little bit more united that it's it's a problem with all of the people at the top rankings of our government and not just one side like we kind of previously were thinking yeah well i think all this just leads to trump getting reelected. you know what i mean i know because yeah it's like, such a disappointment because like uh you know i i just feel like the left it just they're all eating each other so like one thing i'll say about the right is they chose their guy and they stuck with it yeah i the i'm my heart is broken for bernie like that whole situation just it hurts my soul it like (laughs) we got so close you know and then they just they picked joe biden and it's like were you Okay, so nobody was listening is what we learned from this. Yeah, is that we we all were nothing. talking loudly and you didn't listen. <laughs> yeah, we learned nothing from 2016. <laughs> we learned nothing, apparently. We came so close and we learned nothing. But I, I'm hoping there could be some kind of unification based off of the fact that the small group of people who are operating our country are no longer working in the interest of people and everybody else not even no longer that this has been happening for a really long time and it's just they can't even i don't know if they can't hide it anymore or they just like don't care to hide it anymore because it doesn't seem to matter that much anyway but we're learning that it's 
a very select few against the masses and to keep the masses separated keeps that select few operating in a way that is detrimental to everybody. Yeah. Well, this is kind of interesting because like my first two podcasts were very porn heavy. And then like (laughs) this one is actually like deep and political. So I'm showing on more than just like watching blowjob videos. I can get into insightful political (laughs) discussions. That's so funny because I feel like if anybody would have guessed out of your guests who would be the most porn heavy, I feel like I would have been slapped with that. Yeah, well, I feel like uh, when you probably like go to podcasts or like comedy shows, uh, because I and this isn't an insult, your act is very sex heavy. So like, it is. I, I feel like guys just talk to you like they think you want to fuck them at all times. So like, yeah it's like just because i'm talking about fucking doesn't mean i want to fuck you specifically (laughs) it's so funny it's like a guy in the audience is watching me talk to the entire audience is like oh she's talking about fucking people that means she's gonna fuck me specifically imagine that self-esteem to just think like someone i think about that all of the time kurt i think about the blind self-confidence of the type of dudes that walk up to me and just are like, all right, I showed up. I'm looking at you. Obviously, we're going to bang. Let's go. Like, I <laughs> I wish I had an ounce of that confidence. Yeah, like some woman I've never met or talked to clearly wants to fuck me. <laughs> yeah. it's And then when you're like, um, no, thank you. They're like, all right, fuck you. You are ugly anyway. And they just roll on to the next one. Like, not only their confidence, but their ability to yeah, bounce back from a rejection. A hit, like, at all. It's it's insane. We should we should be finding we should be sharing that confidence. We should be bottling it up and giving it to more responsible people. Yeah, yeah. It's uh like I'm like the opposite. I'm like she would never fuck me, and then I go home. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's that's the safest way to be. Yeah, well, that way, like I don't look like a creep, but I'm. Well, like, sometimes I wish I had that confidence a little bit, but not too much of it, where I'm just, like, a chap who wears, like, <laughs> affliction t-shirts and listens to, like, uh, track. <laughs> Puka shell necklace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, that's, like, yeah, like, that's one thing, like, I noticed with you is, like, sometimes male comics are such sleaze buckets that like they know you have a boyfriend but they'll still hit on you oh absolutely it's almost like an additional challenge now it's like it it's it's like oh this just got let's see if i can push through this x like she's already laid down three boundaries for me but let's see if i can not only push through her boundaries but also this dude's boundaries as well yeah (laughs) yeah it's like an insult to like you it's an insult to the uh, comic you're already dating already you know so it's like she's she's already dating a a comic like I've done my part for the comedians I never have to date another comic ever again yeah it's like (laughs) if anything if you were gonna leave if you were gonna date cheat on Cameron, it wouldn't be with another comic. You know what I mean? Unless I was really interested in the drama. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, if that ever happened, it would probably be a attention move that he signed off on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and plus, male comics need to get, like, better, like, pickup lines, because, like, we need, we should write together sometime. It's just, like, they know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you have never actually sat and listened to an entire one of my sets. You just, like go outside and come back in when you know that I'm like back at the bar so how do you even know that you want my comedic opinion on your writing like I see I see through all of it and then like you show up and it's like well I can't find any paper or pens or even my laptop but I did set up this romantic dinner to us I mean it's just here anyway we might as well eat it yeah like I don't know I feel like for me, like, actually being as autistic as I am is, like, super helpful because, like, I just, like, I'm just, like, my self-esteem is so low that, like, I don't hit on any of the female comics, so, like, I don't make them uncomfortable, so, like, that just is, like, actually, you know, uh, a good thing, especially, and I hate to say this, but because, but now, like, you have to be aware of these, uh, boundaries because you know it just you don't want to make someone I feel like people never used to think about these things but it's good that this stuff is getting discussed because we're becoming more aware of like each other's boundaries we are and we're becoming aware of the importance of communicating those boundaries and how you know there's some general rules of thumb that we can we can all agree on like just don't touch another person without their consent is just kind of a good rule of thumb but there's also unique boundaries to different people and unique levels to those boundaries what I might have as a boundary you might not what you might I might not um so the and like I I get the question a lot like well how am I supposed to like you know spark up a conversation with a woman if I'm so worried about harassing her and I'm like well first of all if anything that you were thinking about saying to that person could in any way be deemed as harassment, maybe choose something else. But also, oh, yeah. you yeah, should that's... be mindful of that. And it doesn't, it just doesn't have to be, you know, well, well, now I'm just not going to talk to any women if I can't, if I'd so police like this, to which we're like, thank you, please don't. <laughs> yeah, like, um, for me, it's like, that stuff they do is like not, they think it's flirting, but it's not. So, like, the thing is, no one's saying you can't flirt. They're just saying, don't, like, just grab your yeah. ass. Like, you know, it's just, like, you can say, hey, you're pretty, and, like, compliment her, but you don't have to, like, act like she's yours already and think you can just grab her. <laughs> and I think a big, something that might be helpful is, you know, you might have the nicest intentions in the world to give somebody a compliment, but that compliment might not be received well by them. And that, I think we need to normalize that being okay, if that makes sense. Like, if you're going into an interaction with somebody and thinking, I'm going to say this to them, and this is exactly how they're going to respond. Like, I think we need to open up the possibility that, like, maybe that woman was just, you know harassed by six guys in a row and she's just trying to be quiet and you might come up and be like hey I just wanted to let you know I think you're really pretty and maybe that's the last straw for her and instead of like 
I think the general mindset to turn be like, well, I was just paying you a compliment. Like, damn, is you just kind of just kind of drop it. Like, if it if you go up to a woman and approach her and try to say something to her and she doesn't receive it, just instead of like fighting her back or being like, well, you must be gay then, like. Just drop it. Just just go. It's okay. There will be other people out there. And obviously, that wasn't going to lead to a love connection anyway. Yeah. Uh, I've definitely had moments like that. And then, like, I just realized it was what you said. And then I was like, you know what? I- I'm sorry. I probably deal with this all the time. I-, I really do apologize for that. And then, like, they're happy I apologized for it. And then, you know, like, and I apologize because I actually did think, of that not I'm not apologizing as another strategy to get in her pants you know what I mean I know isn't that gross how that can be used as one sometimes isn't that so sleazy yeah well I think like that's the problem with the nice guy thing absolutely that guys don't realize they're doing the exact same thing as the douche it's just a slightly tweaked game plan like, hey, I respected your boundary, so now I am entitled to some vagina, please. Like, yeah, like, that's the opposite of nice. Like, a nice person would just be nice to you and not expect you to give them your genitals. I think that's what the root problem is, is the expectation that if I say this to this woman, she will then want to have sex with me. Like, that's where the problem is. Don't approach a woman with the expectation of that maybe approach a woman because you would like that and would like to see if it's possible but if you're going into a situation like yeah i'm gonna lay this line down and she's gonna be so down to bang like then it doesn't turn out that way it's hard it's then you're already set up to be disappointed and you know you have to deal with the male ego at this point and i think that's when those situations get heightened is is the expectation that it's going to work and if we just took that away maybe that would be a little easier yeah plus there's like apps for these kind of things now where like you can find the exact woman who's into this stuff you want where you don't have to just like if you know what i mean where yeah. you don't have to like approach women who aren't into this stuff to make them into this stuff you know yeah, you don't have to just go up to every woman in public and demand her time and try to get her to bang you. You can just go on OnlyFans and subscribe and see all the sexual content you would like. Or, yeah, you know, you, good you on... You can go on OnlyFans and you'll... <laughs> like, there's so, much, there's so many outlets for that, those kind of, you know, I'm just trying to bang and that's all I want. Just download Tinder, dude. It's And there are... There are definitely women who are just down to bang. Like, that exists. Uh, you just don't assume that that's every single woman in every single moment that you exactly want it. Yeah, that's, like, uh, very true. And I don't know, uh, you, you watched the new Louis C.K. special, right? I did. Like, uh, what were your thoughts on that? So, I watched it because I mean I did go into it with the mindset that I did not want it to be good I will be honest about that um because I think that Louis CK was really great like truly a master of the craft of comedy but everyone's hero for like six or seven or eight years you know what I mean yeah but then he fucked up 
And he lost that standing in my eyes in the way that he fucked up because I can put myself in the shoes of being a female comedian hanging around a dude who is a little bit farther along and like farther ahead. And it would be horrifying to be in that situation. And that really upset me. And so I watched his new special and it was just boring. Like it was not anything special. And like, if this guy was going to make this comeback special and try to come back out, he knew what he was up against. He needed to kind of wow us in order for a chance of relevancy. And it was just like, there's like 72 virgins jokes in it. And it just, it was very much like edgy and stuff that I'd kind of heard before. Like, the only thing that I liked about it is that when he did address his misconduct, he highlighted the importance of always asking when you are in a sexual situation with a person, don't just ask once and assume that that answer stands the whole time, but keep checking in, keep saying like, is this still okay? Is this additional thing? Okay. And there are sexy ways to do that. Like there's sexy ways to outwardly talk about consent during a sexual experience. So I like that he did use a platform to address that, but it was maybe three minutes of his special and it came at the very end. Like I couldn't even hate on it that much. It was just meh. It was just nothing crazy. It sounds like you're not hating on it as much as it just comedically wasn't for you, which is like, you know, like if, that's someone's opinion on it. At least you're judging it by the merits of what you heard. So, like, yeah, that makes your criticism of it. It doesn't seem like you're just like, well, he did this thing, and that's what I don't like. You actually did watch the special, and I mean, you did say you wanted to go in hating it, but I think if you would have, if the material was good, you would say so while still hating the guy. Yeah. I think at this point, you know, he, instead of trying to be what he was, because I, he just can't get back there. I'm sorry, you fucked up. And that's just how the world works. If you have this amazing opportunity and you fuck it up, you fucked it up. So instead of trying to regain the status that he once had, I think that he should be using the remaining power that he has to try to uplift some more different voices in the comedy scene. Like he he should be uplifting, you know, other female comics, giving them opportunities that once could have been his. And like, he has the opportunity to do that. And I think that would show me that he truly like understands the weight of what he did. And I get it. He's apologized and time has gone by. That doesn't mean I have to forgive him. That doesn't mean I have to be like, well, he apologized and that's cool. Cause it's not cool. It, that kind of behavior very much, dictates how the comedy scene operates so if we're not going to make an example of this guy how do we teach other male comics that that behavior towards female comics is unacceptable yeah uh i I see what you're saying for sure and like uh i think like also it's like when you want it's hard to go back to what you did before when people know this new information because exactly people aren't going to see it the same way that they used to. Like 
Right. Old Louis C.K., if he did, like, those 72 virgin jokes and, like, stuff like that, it would probably, like, people would, like, I don't want to say they would like it more, or they, but I feel like it would, like, not, now that this new information is out, like, people want you to talk about it a lot more, and then maybe if you talk about it in a way, like you said, then you can maybe try to go back to what you were before, but you have to reinvent yourself a little bit after people learn this new stuff, you know? Exactly. I think over the best part of that special was when he took the time to address what happened and use it as kind of an, a platform to get a message out to people. And I was a little bit irritated at the fact that he waited until the end because that's what we were all watching for. That's what we all wanted. We didn't yeah. really care about his new jokes. And apparently he didn't really care about his new jokes because he's had all this time to write them. And that's what he came up with. Like, I'm not saying I'm a comedic genius or that I'm perfect, but based off of what he was capable of, it was disappointing. Yeah, well, yeah, and, like, I kind of hate talking about, like, uh, like legends and, like, their comedy specials because I feel like people will just go, well, you're an open micer, so, <laughs> you know, like, so it's hard to, like, criticize these specials, but, like, it's, like, it's just your opinion on it. So, like, I'm not... People should be able... Other comics should be able to share their opinion on comedy specials, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's... At the end of the day, I don't actually have that much control over the fate of Louis C.K. Yeah, that's, like... I think, like... When I get this opinion, I don't think I'm going to take down... Like, you don't think you're going to take down Louis C.K. Like... No, but I I watched something, I went in with bias, and I formulated an opinion that I think I still would have had even without that previous bias. But also, I don't even know how beneficial it is to say that because there's no way that I could have watched this special without that bias. The fact is, he did what he did. Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like you just watching it gave it a chance most women or female comics wouldn't have even watched it. You know what I mean? Honestly, so I didn't pay for it. And that was important to me that if I, if I did watch it, it was going to be because I streamed it or somebody else bought it. Um, so yeah. I didn't want to financially support him. Um, yeah, I, I, I get that, like, uh, portion of it for sure. Like, but I, I'm just saying, like, you actually are able to formulate more of an opinion on it because you watched it. So that's like, and that's why that's, that's why I wanted to watch it because I knew that I had strong opinions about him and I knew that it was going to be a relevant topic within the comedy scene. And I wanted to be able to back up what I was saying. Yeah. Um, I watched it and I didn't hate it. There were parts that did make me laugh because Louis CK is a great, joke writer even with hacky yeah subjects but like yeah I do wish he just because it it's interesting to talk about that like it, it would have been interesting to me to see him address it that's why I yeah was I was disappointed he didn't have at least like a 12 minute chunk on it you know what I mean yeah I think he should have done way more about it with it and um 
I think he should have done it earlier on. Cause honestly, I don't know if I would have stayed through the whole special if I wasn't just kind of like waiting to see if he addressed it. Yeah. Well, like, and it'd be great if all that material led up and the grand grand finale was this long epic bit about that, you know, but yeah, it, it really was like, and that was, to me anyway, like, oh, he's getting insightful here with this part of it, you know, and it, there's something wrong with just wanting to be a comedian that makes people laugh, but once, yeah, like like you said, once stuff comes out, it's hard to be that, so like. Yeah, I, at the end of the day, the special, it was just like, it was just lackluster, like I was like, hmm. I expected that if he was going to make this move and come out and have a new special, that it was going to be some insane, next-level, hilarious material. And it just wasn't. And it was like, did you, you know, you had on, it just felt lazy to me. But I was also, I will say, happy that that was my conclusion. It would have been more challenging for me to work through an opinion if I thought that it was some next-level, hilarious shit. Oh, yeah, it would have made it, uh, I wouldn't say more difficult for you, but you would have, you definitely have, if you liked it, you would have had to, like, really, it'd be a rough thing to, like. I don't know if I would publicly say that I liked it if that happened. I just, I don't know. I'm glad that I wasn't in that position where I dislike him and think that he does not deserve to be in the position that he was before but then he, he came out and had this hilarious, like, I'm glad that I don't have to deal with that. And I'm also glad that women in comedy don't have to deal with that because imagine if that special had been a killer, like he would have been praised far and wide and any argument that anybody said about like, well, I don't think he deserves to be in the position he had before. People would be like, well, he's the funniest ever. Did you watch his new special? It was hilarious. Like, I'm just so glad that we don't have to deal with those tiring conversations. <laughs> Because from what I'm seeing, a lot of people agree that it was just like, eh. Yeah, uh, well, I, I watch a lot of uh, specials. And I think, like, uh, the best uh, new special I recently saw is, like, uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of her, but uh, Taylor Tomlinson. I started watching that one. I didn't finish it. I did not realize she's um, she's either 23 or 24. Yeah, she's she's great. She's just like got great uh, jokes. She's so impressive. Yeah, it's just like it's it's just like it kind of reminds me of like a female like Brian Regan in terms of just like observational like humor that everyone can relate to, but it's so well written. I'll have to go back to it. I didn't turn it off for any particular reason. I don't think. I think I just am have a, a tendency to switch well, content I notice now that I do comedy it's hard to watch comedy specials the way I used to oh I can't anymore I'm constantly I'm watching their technique I'm watching their crowd work I'm very much looking at it from an analytical perspective and not yeah, from an entertainment like, why don't I do that or like yeah. I could do this or like I don't want to do that so it's like when you're not doing comedy you can just enjoy the stand-up you're watching but like if you do stand up all your it always has to come back to yourself it does it always is like oh I need to do more of this they're like I love this confidence here like I need more of that it definitely is like 
you're watching it for like research and educational purposes. Like you're watching it, even if you are watching it because it's somebody that you like and that you're doing it because you love comedy, you're still going to be trying to pick up something from the special that you can learn yourself. Yeah, I think that's why most comedians like at these open mics where it's just a comic only crowd, I think that's why a lot of comedians don't laugh is because we're thinking of like what we're going to do and like what they're doing and how we could do it that way. Oh, absolutely. Everybody's just thinking about their own set everybody's thinking about like, all right, how's the crowd for this one? Right, this person, I know they have this kind of joke. Does this joke land here? And then you're not even laughing if the joke lands. You're seeing if the audience is responding to different types of jokes. Like you, it's hard because you're, you're analyzing what the room is like at the open mic. And that, that is why you end up with what looks like a bunch of grumpy comics in the back of the room. It's because everybody is just kind of zoned out and thinking about their own set. Yeah, well, one thing I want to say about uh, your set is, like, because I've done a couple shows with you, and, like, um, I feel like each time I see you, your set gets uh, stronger and stronger. Thank you. And uh, I think one of the reasons is, like, because, like, you're both, you're doing more, you're doing, like, every show across uh, the area as much as you can, or you were when stand-up was still happening, but, like, do you find that like booking a show has made you better at uh, stand up? I think that hosting the monster of an open mic that was the cellar door open mic where we had 30 plus comics coming to it, hosting that every Tuesday definitely 100% made me better at comedy. It made me more comfortable on stage. It made me, uh, it helped me read an audience better. Um, it helps my riffing and my crowd work to like riff off of like other open mic sets and get the crowd back on my side. Just that amount of stage time alone did worlds. Like I, it was recommended to me and I would recommend it to everybody who wants to kind of up their comedy game if, and when the world goes back to normal, um, to host as much as possible. It, I, I think it seriously helped me get to another level. Yeah, I think hosting is like the most underrated and difficult position in comedy to do. Like, it is the because- least fun because it's the most work out of all of the, arguably all of the positions on a show. Because you were the one in charge of how the audience is is doing, if they're ready yeah. for comedy, if they're ready for the specific com- comedians yeah. on the show. And you can't just be a comedian; you have to sort of like be a hype person for the whole. You show. have to help set the tone for that show and keep that tone going. And so you can't even just think of your material because if you just think of your material as a host, you're probably not going to be a very good host. No, and sometimes you end up being a host and it is a tough room. And sometimes in those situations, like Cam taught me this. He's like, your job as the host is sometimes just to be the, the first one out the door, like you're to be the first line of defense. Like... I did one show where it was a tough audience and I was hosting and I went out there and I started with like kind of my material and they weren't really feeling it. So I was like, okay. So it was like some crowd work and they were like, we are not feeling that. And I was like, okay, okay. So then I was like, all right, we're just going to get excited about stuff. And like that stuck with them. And so I ended the set on a laugh and ended up like all the other comedians had good sets and they're really responsive to them. But I had to, like, 
bring this crowd up from the dead like using all of the tactics possible and I left that stage being like fuck I had a bad set and somebody had to talk to me and be like "Mm -mm, you just you got that crowd ready for everybody else you did your job as a host and it's yeah you have to like be more excited for like everyone else's set in a way yeah it's like not even about your set when you're hosting it's about how everybody else does yeah like that what do you say about the cellar door is definitely true because I did that my maybe I did it once and uh probably like May last year it was like 36 comics (laughs) yeah it it would get I think the most we had was either 36 or 38 which is oh I think that was the show I was at yeah it was was like insane I mean it was awesome it was so great to see that many people coming out and supporting that mic but it was a monster to host that sucker once a week luckily for me I was like up for it so I didn't have to like yeah that's because you're a killer and we'll put you in the front every time yeah be like, oh I'm 36 <laughs> so I definitely have to stay the whole show pretty much <laughs> I know and that that stressed me out so much because I don't like disappointing people but when you are running an open mic like I'm glad that Ryan was there with me so I wasn't the only person and he's also you know done it for eight years so he doesn't have like that anxiety anymore of whether he pisses somebody off or not he's just like I don't care you can stay or you can go and that it's hard to get to that because then you have people are coming up and they're like, um, I just drove a really far away to get here. It's like, okay, did you sign up with us online? And they're like, nah, I just showed up. And it's like, all right, friend, you're going 30th. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, yeah, Ryan will definitely just tell you without, like, he'll just be like, it is what it is. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's so hard to get to that. And I think it's because I'm new at it and a little squishier and I it matters to me that people like me which is a mistake <laughs> yeah like um yeah that's definitely something I feel like every comic uh struggles with that like I don't want any comic in the scene to hate me <laughs> right it's it's hard and that it's something that you a little bit have to get over if you're going to be running an open mic or running shows is you know people are like hey why haven't you booked me on this yet and especially if it's like one of your friends you're like it's it's an awkward place to be um yeah and it you're not everybody's best friend because I mean if you have a mic with 36 people only 10 people get to go in the first 10 spots everybody else ends up in you know other spots like people are like oh I can't believe I'm 17th I'm like all right well we're talking 36 comics 17 is not bad yeah well for me I I hate because I know how hard like it's stressful to book shows like so I when I'm at an open mic or a show I never complain about when my spot is because I'm like I'm just lucky to be going up at all so like I just try to always keep that attitude that way I don't bother the host about what number I'm going up I used you know I feel that way too and I don't go to open mics unless I'm planning to stay for the whole thing or unless I have talked to that host beforehand and been like hey I have this other thing going on I want to come is it possible to work this out like otherwise if I just show up I'm like hey I'm coming to your mic tonight and I don't say anything else 
I don't care if you put me first or dead last. I'm just going to an open mic. And most times when I go, even if I do go in the beginning, I'll stay as long as I, if I don't have anything else to do that night, I'll stay and watch everybody else's set and hang out with everybody. It's great for connecting with people. You don't know who you'll meet at an open mic. You know, you don't know who you'll end up getting along with really well. Yeah. And the thing with comedy is like, it's not always about how good you are. That hang is really important, almost just as important as the actual set you do. Yeah. Yeah. Being, um, you know, it's about who you know. You know, if you go to an open mic and insist that you go first and leave right away and then somebody who books a dope show comes in later and goes at the end how are you ever going to interact with that person and connect with them and have even a chance of being on their show you don't know what kind of opportunities could present themselves anytime you get on stage yeah especially at like a mic like cellar door because Brian is very generous with his booking. So if he sees your set and he likes it, you're definitely going to get booked on his Sunday show at some point. Oh, absolutely. And it's like not a secret that he pulls people from the mic. You know, it's that he definitely does. And I know that's for sure how I was able to just start getting booked boys. It definitely started with just going to his, going to Guido's when that was an open mic. I miss Guido's. Yeah, then he was just like, all right, uh, you want to do the cellar door Sunday show. So like that, oh, and then after that, like more people are aware because of his recommendation and then they're just able to get more shows. Yeah, he's, he's definitely, I mean, he has helped me out worlds. Like I refer to him and Cam as my comedy dads, which is a little gross, but (laughs) um, (laughs) Ryan, it would take me to D.C. with him. And even if he couldn't get me on a show, he would help me out and introduce me to people. So I owe and he was the first person to ever get me to go on stage. I showed up at Guido's as like a scared little baby who didn't know anybody and just thought she might want to do comedy. Same. I went in as like an autistic. I was so scared and shy. (laughs) And Ryan pushed me. He's like, I I was there with two of my friends. He's like, I heard one of you is thinking about going on stage tonight. And I was like, hi, me, maybe. And he was like, listen, have you ever been here before? And I was like, no. And he was like, okay, so if this goes awful, you can just never come back here and none of us will even, like, remember who you are. Like, you have nothing to lose. Like, he very much, like, gave me a pep talk and talked me into doing comedy for the first time. Um, Yeah, I I think something like that helps where um, it's almost healthier the way he told you, like, because you didn't have delusions of grandeur about how your set was going to go. So, like, then when you get, like... Because I know for my first set, no one talk, told me about that, so I thought I was going to kill. And then I maybe got, like, two chuckles, and then, like, I found out the two chuckles were from something else, not even my oh, set. No. So, like, I feel like if you go in knowing that, you'll feel a lot better afterwards. It's it's definitely a more like to anybody thinking about doing comedy. It's a you don't have anything to lose and people bomb all of the time. And if that does happen, like, so what? Like, yeah, it sucks. It feels bad. But like, it's not the end of the world. And nobody's gonna like keep it in their brains. Like, yeah. And plus, for me, like, even though that set was so like atrocious, like there was something thrilling about just talking to people and like getting them to listen to what I had to say that that like 
was enough for me to keep up the delusion and keep going. <laughs> I Every time that you have a set, even if it's not a good one, you still are closer to being better. Like, even, honestly, you learn more from the bad sets, which are so hard to watch. Cam told me, like I said, he and Ryan helped me so much. So Ryan helped me um, meet people and get booked more. And he vouched for me and his word has helped me a whole lot. And obviously it's helped me um, with letting me run cellar door with him. Um, Cam has helped me with my writing and my technique so much. And the first thing he told me was, you know, you have to film yourself. And I was like, that sounds awful. No, thank you. But it's now advice that I pass along to everybody. You have to film yourself and you learn the most from watching a bad set. Because then you can say, like, I find that when I do watch it, as painful and cringy and god-awful as it is sometimes, <laughs> um, I'll think of something. Like, I'll watch myself on stage and in my brain when I'm not in that heightened state of emotion anymore, I'll be like, oh, I, I should have done this instead. I might have been able to recover here. And then that information is in my brain for next time. Yeah, that's something I still struggle with is, like, taping my set. Like, um, but then, like, I find that, like, I like to watch, like, I notice my voice becomes different when I'm bombing and I become less confident in what I'm saying. And then I'm like, oh, well, I should just, like, keep the same delivery as when I'm killing, as when I'm bombing, because then... I'm not showing weakness up there. And that's such a thing. Like the audience can smell fear on you. The second that you start to falter, you're almost guaranteed to bomb. Because bombing isn't about whether or not a joke lands. Bombing is about it's whether about confidence. it's about confidence. It's about and seeing somebody who has lost their confidence is really hard to watch. And that's when bombing happens. You can tell a bad joke, but if like you laugh at the fact that nobody laughed at your joke, like you can make a joke about how bad your previous joke just was. You can recover. Yeah, that's, what I, that's what I try to do when I bomb is just immediately address that I bombed. Like there, there's, you're almost untouchable if that's done well. Like, you know, yeah. if you can bounce back from it and your confidence doesn't waver, you can get away with a lot on stage. It's, yeah. Confidence is like at least 80% of it, I think. Yeah. Well, for me, like the hard balance was because my act is very uh, self-deprecating. Mm -hmm. So like for me, it was all about being self-deprecating, but still maintaining the confidence of being a performer. Because uh, if you're just self-deprecating, but then you have the energy of you suck, it really, it, it's a hard thing, but you have to find a way to balance self-deprecation with the confidence it becomes of knowing what you're doing yeah it's a difference of you know being like i suck for so many reasons or owning your flaws in such a way that you're untouchable like there's it's a fine line there and it's the line is just confidence like audience audiences pick up on energy so if you have a fun and excited and confident energy when you're on stage that's gonna come through like it's hard not to laugh when somebody is having like next level fun on stage if you're having fun on stage the audience is almost guaranteed to have fun with you but if you're yeah, scared or nervous up there they're gonna feel scared and weird too that's definitely uh yeah well 
Yeah, it's important to show that you love and enjoy what you're doing because it makes people enjoy watching you, mm-hmm. that's for sure. But, like, yeah, because I, I noticed, like, before this, I was starting to have, like, before this pandemic happened, I was kind of having sets where I wasn't having fun. I wasn't engaged with what I was doing. And that's why my jokes were still the same jokes that usually work and kill. But I noticed I was like, well, I'm not engaged when I'm performing them right now. And that's why I'm bombing. So like, like that is absolutely, yeah, you have to show that you enjoy what you're doing. So people will enjoy watching it. I, a similar thing happened to me when I tell a joke too often, which is like a whole nother debate. It's like, how often is too often? Like, is there, if you're in front of a different audience every time, tell the same joke as much as you want. But um, I've noticed that when I tell a joke too much and it starts getting old to me, I, I don't have a good poker face. I lose interest. And then I'm like, well, why isn't this joke working? This joke used to kill. And it's because when I first wrote it, it was exciting and I love telling it, but it's showing through to the audience that I'm like, this is an old joke. I should have something different by now. Like that insecurity or that lost interest comes through if you're not careful. Yeah. Well, one thing for me is like, I do, I do keep jokes for a long time and keep doing them. But for me, I try to incorporate new stuff and stuff I'm already doing, but like, the thing is, like, I don't, people that don't do comedy probably don't realize this, but jokes just don't come out of nowhere. And how you get an act is you have to keep repeating jokes. That's how they get better. Like, the first time you tell a joke is almost, it's almost never polished at that point. And, like, sometimes the joke goes in a totally different direction. Sometimes what was, like, a one-liner turns into, like, a two-minute bit. Like, you have to keep practicing. And that's also why it was so helpful for me to start recording my sets it's because sometimes in the moment you'll add like a little tag or something or you'll have an audience like a heckler or like audience interaction that'll add something to a specific joke and then you have it recorded and you're like oh that's actually good I would like to use that as like my routine like repeating yeah. jokes is how you make them bulletproof yeah well uh actually this app if I go over like uh the 59 minute mark it cuts off and like we're almost okay there. so like uh if you want to like promote anything for uh, the people listening you can uh you can end the podcast with uh you getting some uh stuff you're working on out there cool well uh if anybody wants to follow me on twitter it is uh it's megan graves is my twitter handle i also will have a zoom show uh next thursday at 7 p.m that'll be all over my facebook page we have a bunch of people for that it's going to be a really great show and that is it thank you so much for having me kurt oh well you were a great guest and i thought we talked uh, about a lot of uh interesting and uh good things so uh, i'm very happy with this episode and uh, thanks for doing my podcast awesome stay safe out there all right uh, <laughs> bye and enjoy the rest